0: When each of my children were very young, and I would be leaving in the morning to go to a meeting or maybe come to my office or just do something out and about, they would say, Dad, where are you going? And I would say, I've got to go fight the Joker. (laughs) To a kid, I think I said it, and at least early on, the first time, they would cock their heads and look at me and wait, and then wait for me to smile, and then they would smile and understand it was all a joke, The reality was I was just going to do regular things. I was going to do ordinary things, meet with people, do my job, things like that. And what I would like to suggest to you is that when we do our regular things, our ordinary things as Christians, it might actually be more helpful if we were thinking in terms of we're going to fight the joker, but worse than fight the joker. I want to say this because in Ephesians chapter 6, we see ordinary things, ordinary relationships, uh husbands and wives parents and children workers uh and bosses those kinds of regular ordinary relationships that happen in our lives every day i don't think the list is exhaustive so we could uh, it's just ordinary kind of stuff so we could add school i think in principle uh we can add sibling relationships in principle uh the things we do neighborhoods neighborhood engagement the ordinary things we do are talked about in Ephesians 6 and at the end of chapter 5. And then in Ephesians 6, he talks about spiritual warfare. And he talks about the need to put on the whole armor of God. I'm more and more convinced that the armor, the warfare stuff, is not just an addendum. It's not just, uh, well, I had a little bit more space, so I figured I would uh, keep writing a little bit because this is important too. I'm more and more convinced that the reason we learn about the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 is because doing the ordinary things that we do is a lot more like fighting the joker than we realize. But it's worse than the joker. We're talking about demonic kinds of things. So we are looking at Ephesians 6 today. So if you have a Bible, you can find Ephesians 6. How did we get to Ephesians 6? I don't really know. Um, We were studying the gospel according to Matthew back before the flood (laughs) a long time ago. And we're going to take a week off to look at Ephesians 1. And then it became Ephesians 2 and then Ephesians 3. And then we had a 30-year church anniversary. Then your pastor got COVID. And here we are in Ephesians 6. I've learned enough to say, Lord willing, we're going to finish Ephesians today. So, we've been looking at a chapter a week, 30,000 foot version of Ephesians, so we can see the big picture. After all, it was written as a letter initially, and there's a good good place for looking at the details, a good place for looking at the big picture. We're in Ephesians 6 today, and if you're just joining us, glad you're here. Ephesians works like this. Three chapters of who God is, who you are, the gravity of sin, the awfulness of sin, the need for Christ, the greatness of Christ, the greatness of what it means to be reconciled to God through Christ. It is rich and wonderful and awesome. The Bible, even in those chapters, talks about God's grace lavished on us. It really doesn't get much better. And then in Ephesians 5, excuse me, 4, 5, and 6, we have the therefore. We have the call for Christians, people who've experienced the greatness of 1, 2, and 3, to live like christians to to over to simplify one two and three what it means to be united to christ by faith to receive christ and all of his benefits we want to say it's it's grand and glorious to be in christ united to christ and then in four five and six we're called to live like we're united to christ we're called to live differently, remember uh, in Ephesians two, eight and nine, which we know so well if we 've been Christians very long uh, that that 'd be a good way to summarize the first three chapters, and then ephesians two ten I know it 's in chapter two, but it 'd be a good way to summarize four, five, and six. Christians are supposed to wait for it, live like Christians. we don't try to live like Christians in order to become Christians. But because of what Christ has done for us, now we want to live in light of who He is and what He's done for us. We want to live a life of good works, out of gratitude for what He's done. And this is what's so challenging for us. My biggest problem on planet Earth is not my salvation because it's been taken care of. My biggest problem on planet Earth is living like a Christian. It is really hard for me to live like a Christian. In fact, it's a battle to live like a Christian. In the ordinary. It's a spiritual battle we're going to see to live like a Christian. And I know it's your biggest problem too. And so Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, is helping us to see what this can look like. How we can do this. I like Ephesians chapter 6 as well because it really toward the end stresses prayer. How in the world am I going to do this? This is hard. This is complicated. This is difficult. You don't know who who my friends are. You don't know who my boss is. You don't know who my workers are. You don't know who my spouse is. You don't know who my kids are. You don't know who my parents are. It's hard stuff. Warfare kind of stuff. So we're going to pray for wisdom. We're going to ask God for help to live for the glory of Christ. Because it's hard but good and right. Right? So we're going to jump in, looking at these relationships, and then we're going to move on to talk about the armor. But please, please, please be ready to see them as actually together. Okay, he starts by addressing children. Actually, he doesn't, but in chapter 6, verse 1, he addresses children. But we know in chapter 5, he's already addressed husbands and wives. So this relationship sampling is what's going on. Then he moves on to chapter 6, verse 1. If you look there with me, you'll see that it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And every parent wants to say, Amen. Now, the first thing I want to do is actually take the verse apart a little bit for effect. And let's take a portion of it out and reread it. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Now, that was a misreading of Ephesians 6.1, but it wasn't a misreading of reality. It would be true to say children should obey their parents. God would agree children should obey their parents. He says in the Lord because he's talking to those who profess faith in Christ. But this is a truism. If, if there were no Christ, if there were no gospel, if there were no forgiveness, if there were no Christianity, it would it would be true. According to natural law, God's law, it would be true children should obey parents. It's logical, it's reasonable, it's rational. Uh, I have this kind of discussion with my kids, I don't want to say all the time. It's, it's right to obey your parents because we're your parents. And that might sound like a circular argument to them, but it's actually not. Okay, uh, You need to do what we say because we've been around the block and wisdom compared to foolishness. and uh, We give all kinds of rationale. I don't always do it, but sometimes I like to remind my kids because it costs on average in the 21st century $300,000 to raise a child. Obey your parents. And I have five of them. I want to know where all that money is. It's reasonable that you would obey me because I've provided for you, protected you. Uh, so grumbling and complaining uh, about, you know, whatever it is when they're out shopping, I had to tell my wife this week, remind them of what's true, <laughs> logical. There's no basis for it. It doesn't actually even make any sense. What does actually make sense is children should obey their parents. That's just, that's law. I would say to you, We should be thankful that salvation isn't dependent upon children obeying their parents. Because no child is obeyed perfectly just as no adult has obeyed God perfectly. That's not what he's getting at. What does he say here? Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Oh. See he's addressing boys and girls who are in the family of faith who profess faith in Christ. And if you profess faith in Christ, now you have a different kind of motivation. The motivation used to be, who knows what? The requirement was there, but the motivation was, who knows what? Now the motivation, if you've been forgiven, Christian children, if you've trusted in Christ and been reconciled to God, not because of what you've done, but because what's given to you freely from God, now you have a heart that can obey Now you have new affections, new desires. Uh, Now you want to do what you do out of gratitude because you're safe. That's that's the way he's arguing. Obey your parents. Children always should. But you know, if you're a Christian, you get it. You understand. To now do something because you're grateful, thankful. That's what he's getting at. And then he says in verse 2, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And that's, that's a general truism from the Old Testament. It's, it's true in a temporary sense. If you do the right thing, generally speaking, good, good things happen as a general truism. But we know in Christ, if you're a Christian united to Christ by faith, It's gonna. You're you're gonna live long in the promised land, and that's an understatement. (laughs) Your eternity is secure in the New Jerusalem. (laughs) Do the right thing. Honor your parents. Do what's right. It's rather simple to understand, and boys and girls, I'll have you to know only because I've been a boy before, before I was a man. It's hard to obey. It's hard to obey perfect people, which I've never had the opportunity to do. But theoretically, you're going to obey people who aren't perfect. How in the world could you do that? Well, you could think like a Christian. Since you've been forgiven, since you've been reconciled to God, since you have nothing to be afraid of, you can have a thankful heart and want to show respect and honor to your parents for the glory of God is the idea. It's certainly the idea. Out of gratitude, I would suggest that this is super easy to understand. Why in the world have I taken so long to talk about it? (laughs) It's just really, really, really hard to do. Really hard to do. Each of these we're going to examine is really hard to do. We started with husbands and wives in chapter 5 several weeks ago. Really hard to do. And now it's children to parents, really hard to do. We're going to get to parents to children, really hard to do. Even though we understand intellectually, we understand, oh, I've been forgiven. I've been reconciled to God. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Now I'm going to live in light of that. I totally get it. Why is it so hard? Because it's a battle. And your enemy is worse than the joker. That's why he's going to have us praying and it's why He's going to have us putting on the full gospel armor on so that we can do the hard thing. Not hard to understand, really hard to do. Okay, let's move on to to fathers. And I think He uses fathers next because fathers are typically the leaders. Uh, they're typically the disciplinarians. Not always, though. So I'm stressing typically, and He's dealing in the typicals. So... You might not have a typical kind of family structure, but the principle is still the same. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Others have translated it to exasperation, where they just want to give up and tap out, totally frustrated. I don't care then. Fathers, do not provoke your children to that kind of anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's assumed there? Well, what's assumed there is that a parent, he names fathers, are training children. So it's assuming what we know to be true. You don't know things if you don't know things. So that's called foolishness um, in one sense. And you need to gain wisdom. From others and through experience. And so one of the responsibilities of parents is training children. you got to help them understand how the world works. You need to help them to understand how decisions should be made. And so you can help protect them. Because one day you want them to be successful on their own. That's the idea. Training. So they'll be in a pattern. So they can succeed. That's parental responsibility. Pretty straightforward. Pretty simple. Now let's add to that though. The fact that he even talks about discipline and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord, excuse me. So now we're going to include not just general life kinds of things. We're going to include things that have to do with eternality, with God, with the God of the universe, what's right, what he expects, what he provides. All of those things are going to be included as well. And I want to say one more thing about that in a moment, but before we do. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger as you're training them, as you're disciplining them, as you're instructing them. Don't provoke them to anger. What's that going to look like? Well, maybe let's take the pressure off the dads for a minute. Um, I'm going to mix metaphors, which is dangerous, but let, let's think about coaches for a moment. Um, a good coach wants to discipline the players. The, a good coach wants to help them understand how to not make mistakes. And if you make the same mistake, which is going to lead to us losing, you know what we're going to do in practice? We're going to run extra laps. Or something like that, because we want it ingrained in your mind. We're going to train you. And, and it might even seem like punishment, because we're trying to train, because the goal here is success. But a coach has to be careful, because if you push too hard in certain ways without giving the right encouragement as to why we're doing it. You get it. It's complex. It's an art. The, if you push too much, the parents are, the, the parents, yeah, the parents are alright. The parents will come after you. The players quit all together, or they go play for a different team, not the tyrant coach team or something like that. So it's this its this fine art and balance. How can we, yes, we need to train them because we're trying to succeed here and you don't just succeed by being passive, but how do we do this without exasperating them? That's not easy. That's hard. That's difficult. I'll again suggest to you, it's for good reason he's going to have us praying for these things. And we're talking about parents. You've got to correct your children. The Proverbs would have us to know if you don't correct your children, you hate your children. Quite a statement. We've we've got to tell them right, wrong, don't do that, do this. But there must be a way to do it so you don't exasperate them. And I think this is actually a truism because we can talk about unbelievers doing this. Some successfully. Um, unbelieving coaches, to use that metaphor, metaphor, doing this. Some quite successfully. But what's interesting about our text is he actually brings something supernatural into it as we're trying to do this and we're trying to not exasperate them. Did you notice he says, or I want you to notice where he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to view that as not only the content, though I think the content is in view. I also want to view that in the light of the tenor, in light of the way the Lord relates to us, let's say, as Christian parents. Think about it, please. I don't want to lose you here. I I would do some kind of crazy trick if I thought I could keep your attention. Let's think about this. If you are a Christian, Mr. and Mrs. Parents, if you are a Christian, God has been gracious to you. God has been merciful to you. God has not given you what you deserve. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. He made you alive. All grace, all mercy, compassion, love, forgiveness. And now that you're a Christian, you don't cower in utter terror and fear. Because if you don't do things just right, then you are going to be condemned one day. No, you know the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, no condemnation. You know you are going to be disciplined. You know the, lo- the Lord loves those, uh, disciplines those He loves. And so you want to do the right thing out of a place of safety, don't you? You hear that here almost every week well, let's take that tenor into parenting. Let's train our children and let's help them, but let's remember as we're training them something of the tenor, something of the flavor, something of the spirit. And things could be very, 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 very different. I'm motivated... To honor God, if Ephesians says anything, out of a place of safety, not fear of condemnation. I want the way I help my children to be motivated as I'm training and disciplining to know that I'm doing so toward them and they're operating out of a place of safety, not fear of my condemnation. It would change everything. I'm not claiming to have arrived. I'm not claiming to be good or perfect at this. But I am suggesting to you this is for sure how we're living like Christians. Now that we've experienced the the amazing grace of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it should translate into the way we carry ourselves, the way we fight the good fight of faith, even in ordinary relationships, special relationships, like the relationship to our kids, Let's look at this differently. Let's talk about some parent you know. No, let's not do that. <laughs> there, there, there is this person who is that guy. Okay? None of you. But there is this person who is that person who professes faith in Christ and who is rather tyrannical in their approach to their younger children. How do you help them? How do you diagnose the problem? How do you come alongside of them? Well, the way to do it is to know first and foremost, they might have a theological problem before they have a parenting problem. And so what we want to do is take them by the hand, so to speak, and take them to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 to help them understand how salvation works. God doesn't help and save good people. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and God, according to his mercy and grace, made us alive. For by grace you have been saved. And then Ephesians 2.10, he saved us not to do nothing or to keep acting badly. He saved us to do good works out of gratitude. That's what he saved us for. And so we're going to help that person understand the theology, which oftentimes in churchianity today we skip. We don't want to skip that. Let's talk about the theology of it. And then let's get to the therefore of it, which is what we're talking about. And say it should matter. You've tasted saving grace. Why isn't it that that's show why isn't that showing up in the way you're treating others? That's what that's what he's getting at. And this is hard. This is super hard. Um, this is hard when I'm in an argument with my wife yesterday, which may or may not have happened. She's not here during the service to defend herself. So it may or may not have happened. And so what am I gonna do? Well, I'm going to be a perfect husband because that's never mind. (laughs) But one thing I, I do need to do, and I was, you know, sanctified by sermon prep, is to say, God help me and help me to remember the gospel that I've come to know and experience. Help Molly to do the same thing and help us as we interact with each other to interact with each other like we're Christians. That's what he's aiming for, which is hard, really hard. Some people want to just do the practical and it's not going to work. You don't have the right motivation. Some people want to only do the the theological side of things and that's not going to work either. Both are true. Okay, let's move on before I tell you any more of my secrets about my secret life. I did sleep in the separate bedroom, too, last night. I want you to know. But that's because I've had COVID, not because of the fight. Did I say fight? Hypothetically, <laughs> it may have happened sometime before I was fully... No, I'm going to start speaking heresy now. Okay, let's move on. Now he moves on to workers. He says in verse 5, bondservants. servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Which is completely, crazily bonkers if you don't understand Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. No employer, boss, master on planet earth deserves you to work for them as if they're Christ. That's crazy because none of them are. I had a boss one time when I was a ditch digger that said we should call him reverend. And that was a bit over the top. Mr. Boss Ditch Digger. I wouldn't do it. Other people would. He had a sign over his door. The reverend, let's call him Leroy Johnson because that was his name. (laughs) No, no, nobody deserves to be treated as if they're Christ because nobody is Christ. But, but what's not bonkers about this is he's appealing to you who are Christians because you've experienced the saving grace of God in Christ that now you can work for somebody who is not Christ and you can work for them in such a way that your Christian working is exemplary. It stands out. It causes people to say, what in the world? Where did this come from? Well, it comes from being a new creation in Christ, Ephesians 2.10. Christians acting like Christians. How about, let's keep going. Verse 6 says, not by the way of eye service as men, as, excuse me, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. That's pretty impressive. Doing the will of God from the heart. That's kind of interesting. The will of God in this case is, is what? Serving your superior as if they're Christ. Rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond, servant, or free. And you say, my boss doesn't deserve it. Aren't you a genius? <laughs> no boss does. But Christians are supposed to think differently. We're part of the new creation, Ephesians 2.10. We're acting like we're part of the new creation. We're living differently. Now we move on to bosses. We better get this moving or we'll be here all day. Verse 9 says, Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So think of God's kindness to you. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and that most certainly should must affect the way you treat other people if I can remember who I was apart from Christ who I am in Christ and now I can see other people and remember who they were apart from Christ and who they are now in Christ I can treat them with great respect just how it goes this is super easy to understand this is super easy to understand and it's really hard to do it's like it's a battle or something to do this every day of my life now we transition to verses 10 and following finally finally be strong i like the command be strong and in one sense if we just pretend like that that's the end of the sentence it might help the effect finally be strong this is so hard you know what you better be strong I'm about ready to use military kind of imagery here. So you better be strong in a military kind of metaphor way. You'd better be strong because this is going to be super hard. Like it's a battle or something. And then I love it that he then adds because we're talking to Christians in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Now I don't know how that works. I don't think anybody knows how that works. I don't think I'll know exactly how that works until I see Christ and I made like him, and then I won't care so much how it works. You do this. You are responsible. This is going to take effort. But you've got to know that actually you don't do this on your own strength because you're in Christ. And he's going to provide the necessary means of grace so that you can do this. In the strength of His might. Then in verse 11, look there with me if you would. Here's the metaphor. Put on the whole armor of God. I say metaphor, word picture. Nobody thinks that's literal. You, you don't become a Christian, get baptized, and then they take you to the back room for your armor fitting. Oh, looks like you're going to need a medium breastplate. and uh, That's not the idea, but, it, but it's a great image. Because now that you're a Christian, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, it's like you're in a battle or something to live like a Christian. And so you're going to have this armor that you're going to put on in order to stand, in order to not retreat, in order to not fall down and fail and be defeated. Put on the whole armor of God. So isn't that interesting? You be strong, but notice it's in the Lord. It's the strength of His might. Okay, and notice also it's the armor of God. That you may be able to stand. He's going to keep using that kind of image. Stand, stand, withstand against the schemes of the devil. Remember chapter 2 verse 2. You used to be enslaved to the devil. And now you stand against him in his ways. You're a traitor of sorts. No wonder he's so mad. Now what might this. Let me ask you this. What might the schemes of the devil be? Oh, sounds dark. Sounds like something that people should write Christian fiction books about. And maybe pretend like they're not fiction. The schemes of the devil. Oh, sounds bad, sounds demonic. Because it is. What are they? I think maybe we need to go to a seminar to find out. I think maybe you just need to make a donation at the bottom of the screen to find out. Or maybe you need to buy my book because I've got the secrets as to find out the schemes of the devil. And apart from them, you'll never know. Okay, I kid. If you're new here, I'm not very good at at joking. That was a joke, okay? I think we waste our time wondering, hmm, schemes of the devil, darkness. wonder what those are. I think it's right right under our nose. What's he been talking about? Who 1, 2, and 3. Who God is. Who you are apart from Christ. Who you are in Christ. What it means to be in Christ. And, and how great and glorious it is. He's been talking about that. Things Satan wouldn't want you to know. And not only that. Then he talks about now that you're in Christ. Summarizing 1, 2, and 3. Now 4, 5, and 6. You should live like you're in Christ. And you should live like you're in Christ in the ordinary things of life. With your kids, if you have kids, with your spouse, if you have a spouse, with your boss, if you have a boss, with your workers, if you have workers. And I think it's just a sampling with your fellow students, if you have fellow students. You get the idea. You get the idea. It's a battle. It's a fight to get along. It's a fight to act Christianly. We know that it's right, but we don't do a very good job of it. It, I'm going to suggest to you, I wouldn't base my salvation on this, but that's actually what the schemes of the devil are. To either have you not know what it means to be in Christ or to not have you living for the glory of Christ in your everyday relationships. Kids, I'm going to fight the joker today. He's worse than the joker. He's worse than the joker. Spiritual warfare, spiritual battle. Put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil wants me to stay mad at my wife. The devil wants my wife to stay mad at me. The devil wants my wife to forget how the gospel works. The devil wants my wife to demand that I be perfect before she show me love and respect and You get the idea. That's demonic. As one example. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood... Suggest to you as we're trying to understand who christ is and who we are in christ And as we're trying to live the christian life this wrestle this struggle that is ours We're not wrestling against flesh and blood But against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places So in other words as you're doing the ordinary stuff and it's a real struggle You need to know that the reason it's a real struggle is there's more than meets the eye it's amidst the ordinary stuff, but there's something extraordinary happening, happening in the midst of the ordinary. And how all it works, I don't know. Verse 13, we better keep going. Therefore take up the whole armor of God. You better be ready. You better prepare yourself that you may be able to withstand. So he has stand now withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Cue the Hans Zimmer. Background music, right? This is intense. This is a massive battle that's dangerous and difficult. And he's going to talk about the whole armor of God. And before we actually get to it, I think it's rather interesting. I'm not the first one to take notice of it. But in Isaiah, you have Yahweh with battle armor for battle the one true and living God, Yahweh. You also have his Messiah in Isaiah. So it's Isaiah 59 and then Isaiah 11, who also has armor for battle. And I think we, other people say, well, isn't it interesting that the Isaiah texts look a lot like the armor that's here? Yeah, isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that if we're united to Messiah by faith, we have his armor to do this. Victory is sure, but a battle is real. Now, what's the armor look like? This is going to be 14, 15, 16, and 17. And I'm just going to show my cards now. I'll go fast, I promise. I think each of the components of armor are different ways of saying the gospel. And I realize this might be a little bit of an Awana Sunday School VBS spoiler. And so, uh, if you're offended, you're right. I'm not right. Um, But... I'm also in good company to say, maybe this is not a big list of unassociated things that make up the armor. I'm in pretty good company, not universal, I'll be honest. And again, I wouldn't base my salvation on this, but pretty good company in seeing the emphasis is from head to toe, you'd better cover yourself in gospel realities or you won't be able to succeed. I'm going to take it that way. I'll try to prove it to you. I, again, understand it doesn't bode well for curriculum. Sometimes, maybe. But but let's see. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. And I know in Ephesians, and I know in Paul's letters, he talks about truth and the truth as one of the synonyms for the gospel, the truth about Jesus. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I know the Apostle Paul is very fond of talking about Christ's righteousness, Christ's obedience to God's law credited to us. You want to use the fancy term imputed to us. That's a gospel reality. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There we go again. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, faith in Christ, confidence in Christ. That's gospel reality with which you can extinguish all the flames, flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. That's another gospel reality and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And sometimes the word of God is used generically, but sometimes it's used, even the Greek word that's used here, not always and never, but it's a word that's typically used for proclamation. And so at least some Bible scholars are going to say, that's the gospel word. It's the proclaimed word. Now, once again, I wouldn't die on this hill. I think you can take a different view and we could still be friends. But isn't it interesting that one, two, and three of Ephesians has been about the gospel. And understanding, owning what it means to be in Christ. So now if we want to live in light of the gospel. And live our Christian life which is a battle. You know what you need to remember? You know what you need to be fully armed in? You know what you need to be covered in from toe to head? The truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth, the saving truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way you're going to be able to deal with your difficult problem and succeed in this kind of battle i think that's what he has in mind okay verse 18 says praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints Sounds like a great prayer. I'm all for it. I'm going to suggest to you that in context, so we're praying for one another this way, that we might understand, that we might comprehend, that we might remember that when we engage other people, we're engaging them as people who remember what it means to be in Christ. And we're dealing with other people who are in Christ based upon no merits of their own. And so I can deal with all kinds of people, even the difficult kinds of people. I can deal with all kinds of scenarios, even the difficult kinds of scenarios that seem like they're warfare. They're so hard sometimes pray pray this way for me let's pray this way for ourselves pray this way for one another too many times we think yeah I understand all that and I'm just moving on to practical Christian living well why is your practical Christian living so terrible maybe it's because we don't pray this way maybe it's because we are forgetting 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 what it means to be in Christ I really appreciate the writing ministry of Jerry Bridges. He's in heaven now. But one book he wrote, The Pursuit of Holiness, sold millions of copies. I read it as a brand new Christian. Interestingly enough, Jerry Bridges went on late, because it's all about you got to do this, and 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 they were all true biblical things. But Jerry Bridges went on to say later in his life, and he went on to lecture about the chapter he wished he would have written. Because in hindsight, it wasn't grounded, explicitly, settledly, if you will, in the grand realities of the gospel. And so it led to a lot of confusion about doing the right thing, but divorced from the right resource. And I think that's wise of him to do that. Okay, wrapping it up. Here it is. And pray also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Who do you think the Apostle Paul wants to preach the gospel to? Unbelievers or believers? Yes, is the answer to that question. Yes, is the answer to that question. He wants unbelievers to be converted, but he also wants believers to live like believers. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be with the brothers. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this jet tour, so to speak, of Ephesians. We're grateful. Help us to, as the Apostle Paul would say elsewhere, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and may that very reality cause us to live differently. So I pray for those who are here, for the men and women and for the boys and girls that we would in fact be thinking properly about ourselves and Christ and salvation and mercy and reconciliation and that it would have an effect on the way that we think and the way that we carry ourselves and the way that we interact with other people. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.